Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. As with our film-specific breakdowns, this is part one of our The Last Jedi Deep Dives. In this episode, we'll be looking at story elements, themes, motifs, and structure. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers Podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, guys. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to the show. The What are we now? This is our third episode about The Last Jedi exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, we can't talk about this movie enough, and we're really excited because if you followed our Machete Order uh, series or even our Rebels Reaction, Fulcrum Files, sorry, completely forgot what we called that series, <laughs> our Fulcrum Files show. <laughs> um, which will continue in 2018. Which will continue in 2018, <laughs> caveat. Um, we, ha- we broke down the uh, Saga episodes and the Rebels episodes by story, character, and free-for-all. And so we decided to do the same thing with The Last Jedi, but unlike those other episodes, we are devoting a whole episode to each section. So this is part one of The Last Jedi Breakdown, where we are going through story. Wow, that was so like radio announcer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it and coming up next on Sky Talkers Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's not the vibe we're going for, but like it works. <laughs> Did you, I tweeted the other day about wanting to become an actress just so I could become best friends with Adam Driver. And so <laughs> I could get Adam, I could. I could basically trick Adam Driver into recording, hi, this is Adam Driver, and you're listening to Sky Talkers. I need that so badly. Or I need someone with a really good Adam Driver impression to do that for us. Listen, can I have a real moment with you? And our (laughs) listeners, I have so many interviews with Adam Driver in the past week and a half at this point. I'm talking – everything and i've even watched him do a little (laughs) breakdown on his time at juilliard and then i spent a good hour on the juilliard website (laughs) seeing (laughs) what it would take to audition (laughs) and see if i could get into juilliard (laughs) no way no literally no literally (laughs) literally they're um they're in their dorm room the mess hall is like on the bottom level and they have like a sky bridge that connects to their main building now you know everything about I Juilliard. Do. I know okay. a lot about Juilliard. I know I, you're just gonna like throw the historic preservation thing yeah. out the window and go become an actress. Yes, specifically with the goal of meeting Adam Driver and becoming best friends. I feel like Adam and Driver and I would be like that kind of like opposites balance each other because he's like super <laughs> quiet and I'm like really bubbly and loud, and he's quieter. So I feel like I feel like we would we would play off each other really well. But I also think we have very similar senses of humor. He's just a lot. He's very dry is what, yeah. it, what I gather. Yeah, it's kind of true. I wonder what his star sign is. Yeah. Well, wait, I should know his birthday. I think it's in November. Look, Scorpio? Let me- he would be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wait, I'm, I'm going to look it up. I could be wrong. 
Oh my god, it's November. <laughs> <laughs> it's November nineteenth. <laughs> I don't know if that actually falls under Scorpio. I don't know but either. It would make sense. So yeah. All I know is I've followed. No, he's a Scorpio. Yeah. I looked it up. This, this <laughs> happened after the Force Awakens too. I fell into like a really big Adam Driver obsession, and it's it's happened again. <laughs> Here we are. Real life, guys. Real life. <laughs> on. So let's move on to talking about the story. <laughs> let's stop talking about Caitlin's creepy obsession <laughs> and move and on. Move on. <laughs> Okay, so in part one, we're going to be talking about our initial reactions and thoughts about the story overall and kind of our opinions. And, you know, at, we're about a week and a half out now from The Last Jedi and when it came out and kind of what we think of it mm-hmm. right now. Yep. In part two, we're going to be talking about the actual structure of The Last Jedi. There may or may not be a G-Doc involved. <laughs> and in part three, we're going to be talking about themes and nuances and motifs. So, without further ado, let's get started. So, who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. So, I am at my... I've seen The Last Jedi now five times. And it is, like, slowly but surely cementing itself as my favorite Star Wars movie ever. Like, it really is. I just think it's so good. I know. I know. I know. (laughs) Ah. I think same, but I don't think same. Mm, I think, okay, someone asked me the other day at work um, if I could rank my Star Wars movies, and I was that cool person that was like, I don't like to rank Star Wars movies anymore. One, I think that's, <laughs> one, I think that's true. <laughs> I don't like to rank Star Wars. It is, it is it true. It is true, but it's like, <laughs> everyone's like, I don't rank them anymore. <laughs> um, well, it's true, but at the same time, it's like you want... Yeah. There is that one that you go back to and like pop in. But this, this is my yeah. caveat, which I think is actually a really good caveat, is that I think now I'm just going to say my favorite from each trilogy. So wow. It's like, yeah. Okay. So it's like Attack of the Clones, Return of the Jedi, and right now The Last Jedi. You know, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think it's, it's like I'm not I don't I'm not saying I don't like any Star Wars movies because I I love I genuinely love every chapter of Star Wars. I'm just saying what my favorite ones are from each trilogy. So, The Last Jedi is high above The Force Awakens, in your opinion? Yes. Yeah, I mean, again, too. again, again, <laughs> it's so hard because, you know, a million times I've said this the experience of The Force Awakens was monumental for me as a Star Wars fan, and nothing, nothing will ever replace that for me. Yeah. Um, I don't think it no, should it either. Shouldn't. It shouldn't and, have and to. For, and, like, that movie is such a wild ride. And, and it's weird because. I feel like a lot of the discourse around The Last Jedi now is like you either really loved The Last Jedi and hated The Force Awakens or you loved The Force Awakens and hated The Last Jedi. Um, I know that's that's a really big extreme, but I feel like I've seen that around social media lately in the past couple of days. And I think it's nearly impossible to compare the two, honestly, because they're so different. And unlike any other Star Wars trilogy we've had, they're created by very different directors. Um and yeah. so that's we've never experienced something like that in Star Wars. Um, even with animation, in some form or fashion, you've had Dave Filoni at the helm. Um, granted, that's changed a little bit in the last seasons of Rebels, but he's he's been overseeing the storyline overall. 
Of course, I know that there have been other directors in Star Wars, like especially in the original trilogy, obviously. Um, but George Lucas was overseeing the story for all of that. And we have this story group, too, with the sequel trilogy. But I don't know. It, it feels different. They're, it's just so different, I think. <laughs> you know, the story group is not George Lucas. And you have a lot more minds kind of contributing to what's going on. I think there's something about me and my personal tastes in like movie franchises and sequels where I genuinely love when a movie takes one character and like expands their character really and like moves them forward in a really successful way. And I always respond to those like even just like the basic example of like Hunger Games. I like Catching Fire more than Hunger Games like or like I, I like most Harry Potter fans, like we like the the sequels more than the Sorcerer's Stone, and it's just because you get to know the characters more. And I feel the same way about the Last Jedi, I think, and I like the direction that it's all going in. Yeah. So it just kind of is really great in my eyes, and I, I kind of felt like this was going to happen just because of my history of liking sequels in general. Yeah, I think that's a really good point too, especially knowing that a sequel was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that this that the Force Awakens was just the tip of the iceberg with these characters, it's almost like, yeah, yeah. I really like how you put that. Yeah. So, something before we get into like the structure of it is, I think that there's been a lot of talk about how this movie basically takes place over two days, and I saw it last night, and I was trying to kind of keep tabs on it, and it's all kind of derivative from the how long the resistance cruiser has in their fuel supply which is like i think around 16 hours think, yeah so 16 or 18 and then it it's it doesn't like eh, <laughs> it's so short that like honestly it's kind of crazy that this movie takes place in mm-hmm. two days and but really fast through like i think by the time rose and finn are headed back to the resistance they've got like six hours left or even i think when they're still in the jail because that's when Rose looks at her her watch, her really cool hollow watch, and is like, "There's her yeah, chrono." Her you mean <laughs> fanfic term? Fresher after she got in the fresher and enjoyed some calf. <laughs> uh, yes, her chrono. <laughs> or no, because it it goes the resistance. Someone on the resistance says, we've got six hours left. And then it goes to Rose mm-hmm. and Finn. And she's like, they're running on fumes. So really, even mm-hmm. like halfway through the movie, we've we've chopped off so much of that time. It's um, It just goes really fast. And I feel like there honestly isn't a Star Wars movie that goes as fast as this one. Um, which in some ways, I know that people are comparing like the Canto Bite plot to like a Rebels episode. And I can kind of see how that could um, be similar just based off of the fact that it's in a sh- like such a short amount of time mm-hmm. and you get that sense in rebels episodes just because they're like 20 minutes yeah. you know and i i feel like there is like a sense of pressure that you get with the time overhead but it is crazy the amount of relationships that are formed in this movie in the two it's days insane. i i'll be honest i've never especially in the prequel trilogy i've never thought a lot about the actual time that has passed within the movies. Uh, so cr- I could be very wrong on this, but Attack of the Clones, we're, we don't have a ton of time that passes in those films. I guess there's a lot of time. We actually do. We do. Because there's a lot of sleeping yeah, that Anakin yeah. does 
in terms of dreams. I was, yeah, I was just about to say, I was <laughs> yeah. like, they're on Naboo. We don't really get a picture of how long they're on Naboo. Yeah, but then it's like the the time the what Padme references is you had another nightmare. It's like how many times have they basically had like sleepovers where <laughs> <laughs> she has heard him because it's like how long have they been on there? But the thing is, is that for me, is that the Last Jedi asks you to think, think about, about it, the time it while the other movies yeah, don't exactly because yeah. it's like with Attack of the Clones, you can say yes, it's been more than one night with Padme and Anakin. But you're contrasting that with Obi-Wan's adventure where we don't really see him going through like the same morning to night cycle that Anakin and Padme are. But they meet up in the middle. So it's like how much time really is passing for these characters. Like it's at least a couple days, but it's certainly not a month. But I think – yeah, I think that's a really good I, point. The Last Jedi asks you to think about the time because it brings it up so much. Yeah, and I mean – you can even I've talked about this before with Revenge of the Sith. It's like how long does that even take place over? Mm-hmm. Because um I think that's a really short amount of time. I think Pablo said one time it was three to four Good days. Lord. I know. And it's like, okay. <laughs> that's a lot. And like the downfall of the Republic happens in three <laughs> days. So a lot can happen in a short amount of time in Rome Star Wars. wasn't built in a day, but it sure did fall in a day. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. This was something that I also wanted to talk about was the time jump that we could possibly see going into episode nine. And we were just on the Force cast the other day, and actually that episode is out now, um, where we were talking about The Last Jedi. And Ryan said that he thinks it's going to be like a 10-year time jump into episode nine. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that is so long. Like (laughs) I felt (laughs) real like that overwhelms me. To think that we could have a 10-year time jump into episode nine. <laughs> and then you're like, whoa, that's happened before yeah, in Star like, Wars. Okay, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the time jump could be anything. Oh, I know. Really? And that it scares that, me. <laughs> yeah, that I don't know why, but he said that and I was like, oh my, what? No. <laughs> because I, I definitely think there's gonna be a time jump, but in my head I was like, oh, it'll be like a year at most, a couple months. But we've seen these big time jumps before and even – but I think it might be something more similar to the original trilogy where it's a little more ambiguous how much time has really passed. Yeah. Watch the opening crawl opens with, two years have passed. (laughs) 25 years have passed. (laughs) we're like (laughs) – Ray and Kylo are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I really – I also wanted to bring up in in reference to time jumps is Broom Kid at the end – because that kid, all those kids are telling the story of Luke Skywalker of what just happened on crate. Yeah, you know he's he's the he sets up the his little action figures of Luke, you know, staring down the battle, the the laser cannon, battering ram thing, which <laughs> means that already at the end of the Last Jedi, some time has passed for that story to have traveled to the kids on Canto Bight. You know, so it's a and it it's like how much time has passed. Does Broom Kid really matter going forward? Is he just like a symbol? Broom Kid doesn't really matter. Listen, this this is another hill Charlotte and I are going to die on. (laughs) Broom Kid does not matter. (laughs) Broom Kid matters in that he's like this symbol of hope that like the Jedi are not the end of the light side of the Force. No matter what happens with Rey or what happens with Kylo, there are still going to be Force users in the galaxy, just like Broom Kid. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
Yes, exactly. Honestly, every time I hear Broom Kid, I think of Stoop Kid from Hey Arnold. Same. Stoop Kid left to Stoop. Same. Gonna leave, yeah, gonna leave the Stoop. Stoop Kid's gonna leave broom the Stoop. Kid yes. Broom Kid Broom Kid used the Broom. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else that you want to add in our initial opinions? Um, I, like many other Star Wars fans and Last Jedi viewers, was not a huge fan of the Canto Bite sequence. It It felt it dragged a little bit for me and not even that it dragged. I don't know. It wasn't my favorite for some reason. I just didn't care as much I as you wanted I didn't care as much as I wanted to. But I will say that I've, I've cared more the more times I've seen The Last Jedi. But that for me, the, the most interesting part of this timeline in this movie is what we spend on Octo with Luke and Kylo and Rey. Which is, I mean, obviously that's what Charlotte and I have cared about from the get-go of this podcast and from Last Jedi promotion. So that really should come as no surprise to anyone. <laughs> but I do find myself defending it so much, though, when people are like, I don't really care about it. And I'm like, I care so much, but I honestly don't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a, I, I don't mind it. I never really had a problem with it. But now I'm like, you know, I will die for it. <laughs> It's like, oh my god, let's defend the Canto Bite scene till the end of days. Oh wait, you want to not talk about Canto Bite and let's talk about Octo? Bye, Canto Bite. Like, peace out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's higher on the priority list than other things in The Last Jedi, but like the Kylo Ray is right at the top of the priority list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's move on to talking about structure. Yes. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, welcome to part two, where we're going to talk about the actual physical structure of The Last Jedi. And I wasn't lying. There is a G-Doc involved. (laughs) 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 And when Charlotte and I met up to see The Last Jedi, um... The other for the last time when Charlotte's flight got canceled, which you might have heard us talk about in our last episode, we brought notebooks and took notes. <laughs> and I decided <laughs> that I was going to try and mark all of the scene transitions or basically location transitions throughout the film. And this is by no means complete or even exactly correct, um, but I I think I was fairly successful. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you were. Thank you. I mean, I, I feel like this doesn't. Your spreadsheet doesn't take into account the amount of time that we spent with everyone, no. like in terms of how long scenes mm-hmm. were. No, it doesn't. But I think it does kind of paint an interesting picture about the division in the film. So why don't you kind of walk us through yeah. that? Yeah. So and maybe maybe we'll put this on the website or something. I'll polish it up yeah. a little bit. So basically there I divided it into four main storylines. So we've got what's going on with the resistance. And basically that includes like the first opening shot of the first order versus the resistance and basically all of Poe's storyline, as well as like Haldo and Leia. And then when the resistance is on the Falcon and the resistance versus the first order at the end of the film on crate. Um, and then the second storyline was Kylo and Rey. And I actually put all of Kylo and Rey's scenes when they're not with other characters. So even when they're – well, that's not true. Um, so like the throne room scene with Huck, Snoke, and Kylo at the beginning, I put that as part of Kylo and Rey's storyline together um, because everything 
kind of builds on itself when it comes to these two characters. Like the things that Kylo says in that first throne room scene when he's telling Snoke, you know, I've given everything to the dark side already. Um, We see that kind of come up during his Skype sessions with Rey. So I felt like it was all kind of connected. And then our other storyline was Luke. And basically that's everything going on on Octo, including his scenes with Rey that don't include Kylo, if that makes sense. And then the last storyline is Finn and Rose and the Canto Bite adventure. So, and again, this is not complete. And honestly, by the time we got to Crate, I was so exhausted. <laughs> I just wrote Crate <laughs> at the end. And to be fair, all of our characters are there. Uh, I did try to break it down once I came back and created this spreadsheet of like where we, who we spent time with on Crate, but it's it's not correct. So at the end, I had about... 56 location changes <laughs> throughout the movie. <laughs> and for, let's see, we spent the most time with the resistance as far as like specific scenes. And again, we don't take into account the actual time spent with these characters. And that was 23 scenes. Uh, the next was Kylo and Ray, and they had 17 scenes in their storyline. And then Finn and Rose had 14, and Luke and Octo had 13. And some of these overlap, like Luke versus Kylo, that overlaps for both of their storylines. And then something I also did, because if you heard us on our first, I don't know, one of our reaction episodes, talking about the amount of time we spent with Poe and how it was, for me anyway, it was really overwhelming how much Poe we got, even though I loved it. Um, compared to what we knew in The Force Awakens. And so within the Resistance storyline, 11 of the 23 scenes were like Poe-centric scenes, like focusing on his storyline and his character development. And so when you compare it to the 14 scenes we got with Finn and Rose, you know, that's almost half. And Finn is sharing his screen time with Rose. Yeah, so Caitlin had a... When we were younger, Caitlin... At the beginning of her her Star Wars life, she really didn't like Yoda because Yoda interrupted. Oh my god! The, <laughs> I know the Anakin and Obi Wan fight in Revenge oh of the Sith to the point where she would call Yoda a whack a mole, as in like he always appeared and like you just kind of wanted to like get him oh out of god. there. So are you saying <laughs> that Poe is the whack a mole of the last? I can't one? believe you brought up this story. But it's like it's it makes so much sense. This is like history repeating itself because you're so I like didn't even make this connection with how I responded to the Poe storyline. <laughs> but you're so right. But here's here's a little bit more of that story, too, is because before we got to Revenge of the Sith during my first run through of Star Wars, I was already watching all of the fan vids on YouTube Charlotte have been sending <laughs> fan bits have always been a core part Let of me tell you. <laughs> it's never going away. Also, um, shameless plug, Sky Talkers has a YouTube account where we've compiled fan vids for every trilogy and Rogue One. So go check that out if you wanna if you want a glimpse into some angsty fan videos. Um, it's a hole you don't want to crawl out of, believe me. Anyway, so I have been watching fan vids of Revenge of the Sith before I saw Revenge of the Sith. So I knew that this awesome mega Mustafar battle was coming. And I was like, heck yes, give it to me. 
Um, but what those fan vids never included, and rightly so, is how Yoda versus Palpatine, like, completely, it's like every other. You just flip back and forth between the two. And I remember watching it for the first time, and I was like, what the crap? I don't want to watch Yoda right now. I want to watch Anakin and Obi-Wan. And it kept coming up. <laughs> and like Charlotte said, I called it a whack-a-mole scene. And I was like, I just want to hit it with a hammer and make it go away. <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, But anyway, I really think that the scenes, they really overcompensated, in my opinion, for not having that much characterization for Poe by over putting the Poe scenes in this film. And it's just think it makes so much more sense visually when you look at this spreadsheet. You can see like how (laughs) many times we have gone back to mm Poe. Um, from all these different storylines, which is really interesting. It, yeah, it is really interesting. And to be fair, I, I really like the Poe storyline a lot more than I liked Yoda versus Palpatine and Revenge of the Sith. Um, so it's not quite a whack-a-mole, but the, the sentiment is still there. But yeah, we just we spend so much time with him. And that was that was actually part of the reason why I did this spreadsheet and why I took notes on it when we saw it together the other week is because I, I wanted to to see if me thinking we spent too much time with Poe really was spending too much time with Poe or spending not too much, but more time with Poe than we did with Finn. And I think we do because, I mean, it's basically equal. I'm just going to say it's equal. I'm going to round up because I probably (laughs) missed a scene or two. Um, So continuing our discussion about plot line, what do you think is plot A then? If there is a plot A, plot B, plot C, what do you think that is and can be defined as? I have a list if if you want to defer to me. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> like if you're looking if you're looking at like amount of scenes with um a storyline, it definitely looks like resistance is like resistance leads the charge with the most scenes. But I think Kylo and Ray is are clearly plot line A. Um, I think we we spend the most concentrated time with Kylo and Rey. Like with, with the Resistance and Finn and Rose, we cut back and forth between the two a lot. Um, but with Kylo and Rey, we're spending a lot of concentrated time. I mean, from the from the Skype session where Kylo tells Rey the truth about like his perspective of what what happened with Rey or with Luke. Um, back at the Jedi Temple, we go through that whole scene, the Mirror Cave. And the fireside chat and Luke versus Ray, all of that happens without any screen cuts. Right. I think that. Yeah. I think that speaks a lot to that being plotline A. What do you think? Oh, I definitely think it's plotline A, and I would I would continue it and say plotline B is Finn and Rose, and then plotline C is the Resistance plotline with Leia, Poe, and Haldo, and that kind of serves as like the backbone of the entire movie. That's who we st- open with, and like basically that's what we close mm-hmm. with as well. And I think that um, by kind of driving the fact we mentioned this at the top of the show about driving the fact that they only have a finite amount of time to complete one task makes that plotline C to me because it's like everything is revolving around this. Um, yeah, that's kind of my thought behind it. I definitely think that plotline A is uh, Luke, Ray, and Kylo. Um, no dispute mm-hmm. for me. It's it's interesting putting Resistance as plotline C because you're right, it does serve as the background, the backbone for what's going on. But plotline A 
isn't really concerned with plotline B or C. No, but somehow they they do get together at yeah. the end, right? It all kind of works yeah. out. And um I, I think that, that the the timing of the resistance is kind of what drives mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, I mean it all comes to a head when Haldo hyperdrives through the supremacy. It's like right at yeah. that moment when the lightsaber splits in half. I wonder if the power of the lightsaber splitting in half contributed to the power of like if we were seeing in that moment of silence, if we we're seeing both Haldo's action and also the action of the lightsaber splitting in half. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Totally agree. Um, I have a quote also from Ryan Johnson mm-hmm. talking about the Ray and Kylo relationship in this movie. He says, their relationship is the core of the movie, and we've talked about it with JJ. So I'm just saying. <laughs> that was on the Director's Cut podcast. <laughs> I have not listened to that yet. I'm excited to listen to it. I think – It's pretty short. It's pretty short, but it's I good. think to not – regardless of where you stand on a Kylo Ren redemption or his relationship with Ray, whatever that looks like for you, I think it's it's hard not to say that they're not – the main storyline of this movie. Um, I think you see that through time spent with them and like great spreadsheets like mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They, they are the central plot of what's going on and their actions have direct consequences on what goes on for Luke, Finn and Rose and the resistance in the first order, which is, which is interesting too, because they're not concerned with that. Like, Ray is, of course, concerned with that when she first gets to Octo, but she doesn't have any – she doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know that the resistance is in such dire straits. Um, yeah. I mean, she does, but you know what I mean. She knows that they need help. I don't think she knows the full she extent doesn't. of she it. She doesn't know what Obviously, happens. she knows that they, they yeah, need help and that their, like, numbers are very yeah. low. She doesn't but. know what happened with the Dreadnought and everything that spiraled after that. Um, but it's like – and and I think we talked about this on one of the other shows too. Like when Ray first gets there, she is very much like repeating this elevator pitch to Ray or to Luke. She's like, I'm Ray, your sister Leia sent me. The resistance needs your help. We need the hero Luke Skywalker back. Or else like yeah. Kylo Ren ha- is is com- strong, strong on the dark side, side and we need yeah. your help. And the only way we can defeat it's so cute. And it's like, I'm here to do this. Yeah. So this is what I'm going and, to do. Yeah. <laughs> and Luke finally has to ask her. No, what do you want out of this? And the the truth is, yes, Ray went for the resistance, but she also knows that something has awoken in her, and the only person she knows who can help her is Luke. But what she finds out is that's not true either, that Luke let mm-hmm. her down, and it's the person she ends up confiding in is Kylo. Yep. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about Luke's arc in this movie. As your favorite character. I'm sure you're still kind of wrapping your mind around it and everything, but I think that I am eager to talk about Kylo's arc because I, I have a lot of notes. Yeah. And I thought that maybe we could start it off with you talking about Luke's arc. Um, basically overall, I think, as well. Because I don't think you can talk about his arc in this movie without at least referencing the original Yeah, story. I think we're going to have to have a whole episode on Luke's arc. Um, he's one of the few yeah. characters now where we have a complete beginning, middle, and end Yep, just like Leia. A true awesome. end. Uh, <laughs> me getting sad. Um, <laughs> I think 
I think the parallels to the original trilogy are really poignant in in this movie too, um, which we've mentioned before, and I'll mention through the end of time because I think it's it's beautiful. And as George Lucas has said, and ha- as Ryan has clearly shown in this film, these movies are supposed to rhyme with one another. And that was something I was so worried about with the sequel trilogy was how these movies were going to rhyme in the type of poetry that George Lucas set up with the original six. Um, because honestly, The Force Awakens didn't feel like it was going to do that for me if that was the same kind of movie we got for episode eight and nine. Um, but Ryan Johnson like completely blew my mind. And like, I mean, just the, the binary sunset scene, like you can't it, – it's unbelievable how meaningful those scenes are too. And to watch a cut of them together, it's like – that's where Luke's journey began, and this is where it ends. And in that moment in The Last Jedi, you can tell that that Luke is realizing that with the audience. Like, he knows mm-hmm. that that's where his journey began, and this is where it's ending, and so do we. And you're like... It's almost like the the Force is, like, signaling to him, like, it's okay to let go. Like, it's your yeah. time. Like, yeah, that's it. It's, <sighs> um, <laughs> it, it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's emotional. And, and two, like... I mean, the moment we saw Leia's hologram, we should have known that it was over for Luke, you know, because that was what started his journey, and now it's time to end his journey. And so, mm-hmm. but I mean, specifically as far as like Luke's characterization in the film itself, as far as like him being curmudgeonly and um, really resistant to helping the resistance with Ray, <laughs> 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 um, I I really liked that. I think it's what I expected to happen to Luke. And what's interesting is we talked a lot about Luke discovering the error of the Jedi, and that turned out to be mostly true. But I don't think we counted on hit like him being a part of the Jedi's hubris. Um, and and yes. him talking about the legacy of the Skywalker blood and how that was his downfall. Um, he believed so much in it that it it came back to bite him in the butt for a lot of different reasons. I wasn't expecting that. And I mean, I said this before the finding out about Ben Solo and, and Luke's moment of wanting to kill him has been really hard to grapple with and is really shocking and not at all what I expected for Luke Skywalker. And that's, of course, what Ryan Johnson wanted to happen. (laughs) Yes. But to me, it was him realizing by the end that the legacy of this Jedi, this Luke Skywalker, wasn't failure and it will never be failure Mm -hmm. because of everything that he's accomplished beforehand. And even though he speaks that line before, it's like, if you take that personally, that didn't happen. He was able to basically save his family, his friends. The resistance was able to get away. And he was also basically able to, like, best his nephew, which was great. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I – go, oh, go no, ahead. Go ahead. I feel like I've been talking so much. <laughs> no, I, I didn't have anything else to okay. <laughs> And <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, too, where we're seeing the complexity of a character being – like more than one thing because for how how much Luke is talking about how the Jedi need to end in this film um, and brings up a lot of really good reasons why that needs to happen, we also see at the end of it him being this epitome of what a Jedi is and choosing the route to not actually come to create and fight Kylo to like be the pacifist in the situation. And that was like, that's what the Jedi should have been in the prequels and they weren't. And that's what 
was their downfall. Um, and so it's cool how even though Luke spends a lot of time not wanting to be a Jedi, it it is who he is in the end. And so it's like even though we had to grapple with these really hard things about what's happened to Luke, Luke's character, we get to see him be the Jedi hero in the end. Um, but with a new understanding of what that actually looks like. I, I completely agree. I feel like the ending that we got of Luke, like I've said this a couple times, I'm very, very satisfied with it. And I think that in showing his, I don't know, I just feel I feel like it's just really satisfying to me um, because it's not only hard to grapple with and it makes you think, but it is a great end for his character. Yeah, I, yeah. All anyway. I can do is see that scene in my head of him fluttering away. And I know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'll ever be able to watch this movie without shedding at least a tear, like, like a the single emotional tear. punches, man. And I think too, however, whatever happens with Kylo and Rey, and specifically with Kylo in Episode Nine, will have a lot of impact on like if Kylo isn't redeemed then watching that moment in as people who were really gunning for his redemption, obviously people who didn't want him to be redeemed will feel a very different way um, to then watch the scene where he tries to get Ray to join, join and rule the galaxy with him. That will be a really hard scene to watch too, as people who have invested in his redemption. So speaking of redemption, um, Caitlin and I were talking before off mic about how, even though we're like gunning for the redemption we do have these moments of like, oh my God, it might not happen. It, I don't think it's going to happen. Right, Caitlin? Yes. Like, I think obviously this movie is supposed to do that and that's why it's creating such interesting conversations and everything. But um, I spent a good portion of today and I'm embarrassed to admit that. During the um, day. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lunch break. <laughs> um, writing down Anakin's descent from darkness to light and then Kylo's descent from darkness and what I think will be light. So I think it's really interesting to kind of begin this with saying that obviously we meet Anakin for the first time, um, chronologically at least, as like a young kid who couldn't be more in innocent and wants to help people. Where in The Force Awakens we meet Kylo and he couldn't be less innocent, right? He's a terrible mm -hmm. human. And um, he is the picture of a villain and he slaughters and orders the slaughter of a whole community on Jakku and everything. It's just like, basically, we're meeting two characters who are completely separate, right? Yes. Um, but they do have similar pathways. So Anakin, and I, I, I won't read it all because I feel like it'll just be boring. But a couple of points to highlight is that Anakin was also too old to be trained, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like this actually does have something to do with his turn to the dark side just because they really couldn't the Jedi Order couldn't or didn't want to understand what it was like to train a nine-year-old boy um and get an understanding of his emotions as like a growing kid right because he wasn't basically indoctrinated from birth mm -hmm. um but Kylo also was sent to Luke pretty late in his life which I think is really kind of interesting because it was clear that, like, Leia and Han couldn't handle their son um, and, like, had an issue with his force powers or, like, he needed to be trained. And so the decision was that Leia was going to send and trust Luke with her son. They say that in The Last mm -hmm. Jedi. And he was older. 
And I don't know if that really has anything to do with like anything, but at this point, um, Snoke had basically gotten control of his heart and he was inside of his mind, seeing every thought. He was really enraptured by Snoke at this point. So it was really like, what could Luke do? Kind Mm -hmm. of. Right. Well, I think it was a, a so, question. I like. I wonder if they wanted Kylo to be trained at all, or Ben to be trained at all when he was a kid. But then it was like, once they realized Snoke was trying to manipulate Ben, it was already too late, and that's when they sent him to train with Luke. Or maybe Luke had decided that the Jedi Temple he was setting up wasn't going to like have kids in it. Like maybe Luke's Jedi. Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Je- Jedi rules like schmools, like who cares, <laughs> right? But at the same time, it was like they- these are two adolescents kind of grappling with their force powers. Yes. And I think that's kind of the boundary that I'm yeah. trying to draw. And obviously, what I just said before about how Snoke had gotten control of his heart, the whole problem with me saying that is that Ray says Kylo's choice hadn't been made. Ben's choice mm-hmm. wasn't made, and Luke assumed it had. Um and I kind of think that it was pretty similar for um, Anakin, basically, because, I mean, they kind of brushed off his dreams about his mother. Obi-Wan says dreams pass in time, everything, like any sort of emotion that Anakin has is kind of shot down. Um, so I do, I think that there's some comparison to be sent th- sent there. Let's see, what else? Um, I think that there's like a dualism of how Kylo kind of constructs himself to be a villain and it's all kind of artificial while Anakin's descent into darkness wasn't artificial at all. He was kind of, he's the chosen one. He's grappling with like a lot of force issues going (laughs) on. And also during the background of the Clone Wars and so much deceit and manipulation going on while also dealing with the fact that he's like completely leaned, leaned into these romantic feelings that he has with Padme. Um, Anyway, I just feel like Anakin's descent isn't very artificial. I think it's very, very true. While Kylo's, yes, Kylo's is not. He thinks that this is, since his uncle didn't accept him this way, right, or anyone, um, he's trying to find a sense of belonging in joining the dark side. I mean, you can see this even with like getting the mask, putting on the gloves, um, changing his name from Ben to Kylo Ren. Like we don't know the origins behind that, but we can kind of assume that, you know, it's all part of like donning the villain mm-hmm. look. Right. So I, I do think that, that that is really interesting as well. Um, and in this movie specifically, you see a removal of that sort of, idea of constructing yourself as a villain not only in the beginning of the movie we see him destroy the mask um we see him recognize that his name is ben in comparison to ray um where in in the force awakens you know han calls kylo ben and he says your son is gone yeah right he so it's like that his name is ben with ray yeah, exactly. And it's like it's really dismantling this like artificial exterior that like wasn't artificial for Anakin. He was really truly dealing and grappling with like unacceptance of who he was and basically unacceptance of his force powers, right? Mm-hmm. And like he so I, I I just think that it's and even the removal of the glove, right, is 
that that moment when Kylo reaches out to Ray, who's reaching out to him, um, and kind of accepts that he takes off his glove, and the, the camera makes a really big deal of like showing that he's removing the gloves so that they're skin to skin. Um, I think in that point, it's like this is basically it. He's like stripped himself down to be Ben Solo in a way that we haven't seen and that we never didn't get to see with yeah. Han. Well, exactly. it's, like, it's, it's exactly. like the moment with Vader and Luke in Return of the Jedi where it's like, let me look upon you with my own eyes. And he takes off the mask. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's like when the Force theme plays. Mm-hmm. Um, but and this is the point where it should be aligned, like you just said, in Return of the Jedi when he takes off the mask. But instead, we get past that because this is a story of adolescence and trying to figure out who you are. And Kylo completely screws it all up after the throne room, which also plays the Force theme um, because he kind of is continuously trying to find a sense of belonging. And that belonging is not shared with Ray at this point because he just doesn't know how to deal with it. (laughs) And he thinks this is the way it's going to be. Um, so he closes that door. So I think that it's really interesting because I think that this could totally go both ways where he's still on this personal journey to figure out, okay, Ray is part of his redemption, right? Obviously, because Ray shows compass- pa- compassion to him. But at the same time, it's all has to do with Ben at this point. It's not all reliant on Ray. Well, Vader's redemption was totally reliant on Luke in that realization that Vader isn't alone and that he has a son and that he could save his son and this is way his way out. And in the same way, Kylo feels that way about Ray. I'm not sure if anyone's following me yeah. on this, but I do feel like there there is a sense of like Kylo feels very alone. Vader also felt very alone. And then there was this person, Luke, his son that he didn't even know he had, come back into his life and he's suddenly not alone. This is his way out. And it's like, okay, so Kylo deals with this as well, where Ray comes into his life and he's suddenly not alone. But I don't think Ray is actually his way out. His way out is figuring out how to deal with himself mm-hmm. and like how to kind of overcome this mask that he's created for himself. Yeah. Yeah, and how do you figure out how, who you're really supposed to be? And Exactly. So that's where it like kind of puts the question mark in my head about whether the redemption is going to happen because we've never seen it get past this point in mm-hmm. Star Wars. And I think that's good. And hopefully, obviously, if I, I – I want the redemption to happen. This is very clear. I very much care about this character, and I think that it is – pretty Star Wars to kind of show that there's hope in a person. And even that's what Luke says in the end of this mm-hmm. movie. Um, no one's truly gone. So I, I think it's going to happen, but we're at the point of it's not the same story as Return of the Jedi yeah. anymore. And while Anakin went through a descent into darkness, I feel like Kylo is definitely on this like reverse, well, I don't know, arc of... Light yeah, and, dark. and as you were going through this, I think that was a really great um, kind of breakdown of their two storylines. We all of the elements that went into Anakin's redemption, we've already seen in Kylo's journey within one movie, right? And that's crazy. Like the whole point of the prequel trilogy, and especially the Phantom Menace, was to humanize Darth Vader um, and to let you get to mm-hmm. know who he was before he was Darth Vader. Um, and this film. 
the purpose of the Skype sessions is to get to know Ben Solo, to have more vulnerability to the character. But And then in Empire Strikes Back, you've got the thing where, you know, Vader sees Luke as a way out. And what does he do? He does exactly what Kylo does and offers Luke to rule the galaxy with him. But that was one movie. And then, you know, obviously Kylo rejects it or Rey rejects it. Um, but for Vader, it, it was like, yeah, I mean, exactly what you said, Luke – like Vader's redemption was entirely dependent on Luke and came at the very end of his life. And so there, there wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was like at that point, Vader had already become kind of introspective about the choices he's made and realizing that this was the end of his life. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting how all of those, those story beats were packed into the last Jedi. So it really does leave, episode nine as a huge question mark about what does happen next. Yeah. And I mean, like, I just like to go back to him kind of creating this like mask of himself. I, I think that Ben is a character that you see that has like basically the lowest self-esteem ever that we've ever seen in star Wars. Like no one believes in him, no one. And I think it says something about Ray's worth as a hero to believe that there could be compassion in this one human. Um, but I also think that he's like, Kylo is like continuously trying to like lean into this monstrous tendency. Like even when, when Ray's like, you're a monster and he's like, yes, I am. And in that moment, it's like, no words are said after that, but they kind of have this moment where it's like the camera kind of pans on them where they're both kind of like, and Ray is like, what are you, like, what are uh, you doing? Like she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't exactly. understand what Kylo's trying to do in that moment. Like he's not trying to scare her necessarily. He's just he's just repeating what she said. It's it, odd. It's an, it odd, is an scene. odd scene. <laughs> I I just I struggle with the the arc because I feel like at this you're right. Where at this point we are totally caught up with the Empire Strikes. I mean the Return of the Jedi storyline. So it's like where could it go from here? In my opinion, it doesn't really have much to do with Rey. It has everything to do with mm-hmm. Kylo. And dealing with his own sins and redeeming himself. But also, he now has this understanding. His self-esteem is up a little bit more because he recognizes that <laughs> Ray did believe yeah, in him. Yeah, I'd argue, though, that right? right now at this moment, it's at its lowest. And literally, we see Kylo yeah. Yeah, kneeling yeah. down at the lowest point in, at the end of The Last Jedi when he's literally looking up at Ray. Um That's true. That's true. I was thinking about how, and I can't take credit for this, nor would I want to, but Scavenger's Horde brought up something really interesting about how basically at the end of The Last Jedi, everything is reset to how it was in The Force Awakens. So you have this like bad, baddie guy, Kylo Ren, screaming and like ordering the First Order to, you know, be terrible. (laughs) And then you have Rey like- First Order, be terrible. Yeah, and you have Ray like sitting in the cockpit or the little gunner area of Millennium Falcon, and it looks familiar because it is familiar because we saw this basic scene in Force Awakens. The Force Awakens, and it's like everything is reset at that point. Of these two characters, are basically the same at the same place where they were in the Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. Of like, they have the resistance to like Ray has the resistance to fall back on. Kylo has the Force Order to fall back on, but they are ultimately 
two characters who are completely changed by the past two days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. And you see that. And yeah, I was listening to it too. And the way they describe this reset is that like Kylo and Ray are now caricatures of what they were in The Force Awakens. And I really like that description. But you see that facade break down so easily once we get to the end and they have this force set, this Skype session. Um, and it's like they're immediately brought back to that moment. And I mean, just to speak to to Ray as a hero and her kind of showing Kylo that moment of compassion, she continues to show that compassion when she left him on the supremacy. Um, she didn't kill him. And I think if she yeah. had truly lost faith, she would have and should have. Um, but you're, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's Kylo's choice now. And it's weird because I was talking to someone on Twitter about it. And it's like, if Kylo and Ray have like the same relationship in The Last Jedi in episode nine, it's just a repeat of The Last Jedi. And that's not very interesting. And I think that's a a really good point and a really fair point. I mean, as much as I want to see all the Skype sessions for the rest of time, (laughs) it would be very similar to The Last (laughs) Jedi. But in that same vein, to have that connection be completely severed and just have Kylo and Rey against each other, we're looking at kind of a repeat of the – at least the end of The Force Awakens. And I don't know if I want to see – Yeah, it's really like where do we yeah, go from it's, here? It's question yeah. Whatever way you're looking at it as far as how Kylo Ren is redeemed or how he's not redeemed. It's crazy and – this is actually this conver- whole conversation is the real reason why I love the Last mm-hmm. Jedi is that it really raises so many questions, but questions that I didn't even know I uh-huh. had. Yeah, do you do you remember yeah. when we were talking about the promotional material for the Last Jedi, and we were like, everything in the promo material could go either way, like everything could either be pointing yeah. to a Kylo Ren redemption or a Kylo Ren, you know, super villain. Um, everything could be pointing to Leia's death or not to Leia's death. It was so ambiguous. And this film, le- like Kylo, again, Kylo Ren's redemption could go either way at the end of this movie. <sighs> oh my God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like I've exhausted the structure part. And we both kind of talked a little bit about everything that we wanted to talk about about structure. Fine. So why don't we move on to themes? Let's. <laughs> themes so i know we just kind of talked your ear off about (laughs) kylo's arc and (laughs) structure and poe and everything so (laughs) (laughs) let's kind of nail down what is the core theme of the last jedi i think there's a lot going on but like what do you think is like the number one theme that comes out of this 100 percent failure who who succeeds in this movie (laughs) um luke does I guess. I, Luke succeeds at in a different great way. Cost. Totally. And I I completely agree. I think that Luke succeeds to some yeah. degree. And at the end it's like the degree that matters it's, the most. It's not how he but it's not at all what he would have wanted. Yeah. But you're right. It to a certain degree it, it is a success, but it's also a letting go of what of what Luke can't succeed in, which is saving Kylo. And I yeah. love I love that line when Kylo is like, "Have you come back to save my soul?" And you're like, "Whoa, melodramatic like, AF." <laughs> I was gonna say the only people that succeeded in this movie were the Porgs because maybe they really wanted to get off Octo, and a number of them did. <laughs> true, true. Also, so I true. bet they cuddle with Poe. 
<laughs> I want to see Poe and Pork. Poe Pork. Poe Pork. I noticed like the last scene of this movie where it like at least not the, la- the not the last scene because I guess the last scene is Broom Boy, but the final shot of the heroes in the Millennium Falcon. I didn't notice this until my fifth viewing that there's a porg like sitting on top of R two D two. Oh yes, I think so I saw cute. that. <laughs> it's so it's like cute. all the all the porgs are gonna follow Poe around like a mother duckling. That's what's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's anyway, okay. back to failure. Failure is definitely the core of this film. And even Yoda saying that like failure is the greatest lesson or the yeah, the greatest teacher, yeah. whatever he says. Again, not really good but with the quotes yet. <laughs> it's like Ryan talking to the audience. <laughs> this movie is about failure. You're supposed yeah. to be a little deflated once you start to think about what actually happened in this movie. Yeah. And I think that. I mean, this is generally how darker middle chapters go is failure is kind of at the core of this film. But I I think that this takes failure to a totally different level with each of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, even just by the o- opening scene where the bomber squadron and Paige Tico dies and everything. Um, I think that... It really does set it up for, oh, my God, this is a movie where the the stakes are so high and every single one of these characters is going to deal with some sort of loss. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, I I couldn't help but think about – and I know we talked about this off – and was that off camera. We're not on camera. Off mic. Um, after one of our viewings. But the, the beginning uh, with Poe's run where he basically leads the charge – against the First Order that leads to so many Resistance fighters dying, including Paige Tico, is really reminiscent of one of the Clone Wars episodes where Ahsoka gets a bunch of her clone soldiers killed in battle. And I th- and I can't remember what season it is or really any details about it, but just this really great Anakin and Ahsoka scene afterwards. <laughs> it's important, guys. Uh, where Ahsoka, like, realizes – like Anakin has to tell her, like you, you weren't thinking logically, and it costs you lives. And Ahsoka had to, like, she had to grapple with that and be upset about that, and she lost her nerve for a while. But then she, you know, she eventually comes around, um, and it, it kind of reminded me a lot of Poe's storyline in this too, of when he finally realizes when Leia says to him, you know, a lot of dead heroes and no leaders, yeah. Yeah, no leaders. Kind of a similar yeah. situation, and it's like that's your first inkling of just how far failure is going to go in this film. And that, for mm-hmm. as monumental as that was, it was just the tip of the iceberg. So the ne- the next theme that I kind of narrowed down was the idea of letting go of like and for letting go of the past and forging forward. Um, and I think this can be applied to like masters and apprentices, but also I think it has to do with like basically growth. Mm-hmm. And I think you can even apply it to like parenting. Yeah, and, and fandom um, and franchise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> I think, I think it's really interesting because you have Kylo as a character who's like really desperate to let go but of can't. the past and, but can't. And, like, what he clings to is kind of the past and how 
but also, I don't know. I feel like it can go both ways. And Ray doesn't really have a past, so she doesn't really have much she, to cling that's to the either. Thing, she wants a past, and that's what Kyler says to her. Yeah. He's like, you want a place in this story. You don't have one unless mm-hmm. you're with me. Yeah, and I think that even, like, at the end of the film where Kylo is, like, trudging forward, trying to let go of the past, and, like, Ray isn't because she's, like, literally as a symbol in the Falcon, the movie ends of them in the Falcon, which is, like, also a symbol mm-hmm. of the past, like, the most, like, Star Wars-y shit ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, like, it really leaves a lot of questions open in terms of um, kind of moving on and what it means for the next yeah. episode. It's again, it's um, this weird thing, not weird, but really great part of The Last Jedi of Ray and Kylo being this yin and yang of each other and how Kylo really wants to let go of the past. But I think that moment at the end solidifies that he can't and probably shouldn't um, when he's holding on to the the dice from the Millennium Falcon. It's like that's like he mm-hmm. – there's something there. Like that's his family and he like he needs to – yeah. Like, Kylo still has love in his heart for his family, I think, buried real deep. Um, if if not for Han, but, I mean, he even says that's, like, we can't get into the Han-Ben relationship. Um, but <laughs> him talking, like, with Leia, I think he definitely feels an emotional attachment to Leia. Maybe that he, w- he wouldn't even describe as love at this point. Um, and he, but like that that picture of the past, it's like it's always going to haunt him. And Luke says so much, and it's because Kylo is trying to run away from his past, while also at the same time embracing the legacy of Vader, but not of mm-hmm. Skywalker. And and yeah, it is. It's really and then you have Rey, who wants so badly to be to have a place in the story, and doesn't. And she's she ends up being the one taking Kylo's advice of killing the past, of letting it go, and realizing that she doesn't need that belonging anymore. And she thought her – I think she thought for a second that her belonging could be with Kylo and realized that she couldn't save him. And so now she has, like, mm-hmm. reset and, and thinks her belonging is with the Resistance now with that future. But the future of the Resistance is also really reminiscent of the past of the Rebellion, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's that whole concept is really interesting because I just feel like I'm, it's too early to speculate about mm-hmm. episode nine. But I feel like where it stands right now is we obviously Kylo is going to be uncomfortable as the supreme leader. Like it's already happening. You can already see that uh, Hux is like you're letting your personal feelings mm-hmm. get in the way yep. again. Um, and it like greatly sacrificed the first order dominance. And I think Ray is also going to have to deal with the fact that she's like this image for the rebellion mm-hmm. or the resistance yeah, right exactly. now. Um, something that, and again, it's like also what happens. You've you've been talking about this a lot. What happens when like Finn and Poe and everyone finds out about basically the throne room and like teaming up with Kylo and how she didn't kill him yeah. or something like that? Like, yeah, what, what I think happens that's going to that? be. I think because right now it's like Ray has what she wants. And Kylo has what he unquote, quote unquote wants too, um, but I think with Kylo it's a lot easier to see that that facade breakdown of like you know he's becoming more unhinged um, and more, in my opinion, more conflicted. Um, but he's trying not to be, but he is. Whereas with Ray, it seems like everything is hunky dory. But then yeah, it's like when her and Finn are catching up. What it like Finn's. 
I think because Ray is going to want Finn to have the same compassion that she had for Kylo um, and still does. And Finn's going to be like, wait a second. You had the chance to kill Kylo Ren and you didn't? The person yeah. who like sliced yeah, like, open my back. Yeah, and like the person who it's arguably like- means the most to Ray is Finn because it's like there's no one else yeah. really around. I guess you could argue maybe Kylo or Ben Solo and like Luke and Han, but it's very different than her relationship with Finn. And that's like that's mm-hmm. going to be – that's going to really test their relationship I think. Um, and I think Ray is going to – discover that loneliness again um, because no one no one's going to understand the choices sure. she made in The Last Jedi. And like the yeah. the force inside of mm-hmm. her. I feel like it, that's just yeah. kind of incomparable, especially because Leia's yeah. going to be gone. So it's not that sort of men- mentorship anymore. So, even, uh, oh my God. Oh. Okay. So the I next, was going to say even the, Leia, ahead, I think if, if Carrie Fisher were still around, I think that would be a really big conversation between Leia and Rey in episode nine because at the end of The Last Jedi, Leia has lost hope in Kylo Ren, in Ben Solo. And so I think Rey would be like, what do you mean? Like, there is still good in him. I've seen it myself. I've seen the conflict. He's still alive. Like, she at least has faith that he's going to come back. But Leia doesn't. And so I think that would that mm-hmm. would have been a really um, – attention between the two of them too for sure for sure okay so the next theme was kind of personal choice that um obviously is kind of dominant throughout star wars but it's just kind of solidified for me at the end when ray closes that door that kylo's redemption cannot Mm -hmm. be dependent on someone else it really has to come from him um and obviously this is something that's throughout star wars so it's nothing new but i do think that it's all about making that decision yourself and failing yourself and um, yeah, kind of Yeah, I think that was such that. a good choice because one of the things I was worried about, and I think you were too, with Ray being a part of Kylo's redemption, which is something we always thought was going to happen, but like Ray's character growth for Kylo's character growth and how that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, like you, yeah, it's not yeah, a good no. thing. And, but in this moment, it was like, you got to see how they influenced each other. But like you said, Ray realized that she couldn't save Kylo. And at the moment is not trying to save Kylo. And she knows that it's got to be his choice at this point. Exactly. Um, okay. So then the next few themes, obviously we've touched on, like obviously balance plays a huge part in All this film. Over. Um, Ray and Kylo represent the balance. It's like everywhere. Oh my God, guys, I need like a comprehensive guide of all the yin and the yang in this movie because every time I watch it, I notice something else. Like even, did I mention this already? I can't remember if I mentioned the Kylo kneeling down at the end with the die in his hands, how the light is literally mm-hmm. streaming into the super dark room. Yeah. Like, room what does that mean? Oh my God. And, <laughs> and you have the and half, half of the light side yep. talking to the half of the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what are you, Ryan, what are you doing? Is balance Thank you, Ryan Johnson. going to be restored in episode nine? <laughs> does does balance like already exist though? That's really yeah. the question that I have as well. Yeah. Is that because clearly I think va- balance was at its high during the throne room mm. and even when they touched hands. But whoa, someone just dropped something <laughs> above my head. Are you cool. okay? Person above Charlotte's apartment. <laughs> yeah like who knows um but yeah i just think it's it's really interesting how they just keep driving this 
this thought about balance in the force forward in the saga. Charlotte and another shameless plug. Charlotte and I wrote for our Patreon bonus episode this month, recorded an episode about Dave Filoni and Ryan Johnson. And of course, we talked about Mortis and the balance of the force. So if you're interested in hearing a little bit more of our thoughts about that, you can always head on over to our Patreon. For sure. Yes. Um, and like specifically for the Finn and Rose and DJ plotline, I think that it's very clear, obviously, that there's a message of like not everything is black and white. It's kind of unclear that there's a gray area. Um, and there's like this weird conservation, like animal treatment message mm-hmm. that comes up that I think kind of serves Star Wars as a whole pretty well. Um, it was kind of about time that we had something oh, well, like that in Star Wars. You know what I mean? Wars and Rebels. Yeah, Clone Wars, like, of course. But, like, uh, there's something mm-hmm. about a movie that has, like, so many cool aliens and everything that kind of needed to address this, like, yeah. other part of it where it's, like, there's all these different societies who probably function similarly to ours. So, like, what is the good side of yeah. that? What is the bad side? And I think that this movie did that pretty well. I agree. Um, <laughs> I agree. I agree yeah. with you. <laughs> and I know you do. Um, okay, so, and then finally, like, for the last theme that we kind of identified was the, for the Leia, Haldo, and Poe, like, storyline, um, Ryan Johnson kind of laid down how the value of heroism isn't brashness, and Poe had to learn that lesson, I just kind of wanted to read this quote, if it's that okay. was okay. Go for it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> good. Because I'm going for it. This is Ryan from the Art of Book. It was a little nerve-wracking to go into a Star Wars movie and have this big lesson, the one that Poe Dameron learns, be the value of running away, the value of heroism, isn't brashness. He says that brashness is very much a young person's point of view. It would be disingenuous and wrong to have the only perspective that mattered in this movie to be one of youth. We had to step forward into the part of adolescence where you start to glimpse at the limits of the blue sky up above your teenage head. Inevitably, another perspective of heroism had to enter this movie because of the legacy characters. Because of Luke, because of Leia, because they're ultimately defined by loss. Um, I just thought it was really cool that we have a writer who's thinking about all these different ways that heroism is portrayed throughout the years because often in Star Wars, we generally only see like the 19-year-old mm. perspective, right? Is kind of like the standard of Star Wars. And... um. I think this movie kind of showed that it's not just about jumping into your, co- your, your, head your cockpit, your cockpit, and <laughs> out of your cockpit, and like blowing stuff up, you know. And I think that's something it's that's really so cool. nice about the sequel you know, trilogy and having our legacy characters in it is that we do have some of that older perspective, for sure. And yeah. I, that totally comes up in this movie a lot about. I've seen a lot of think pieces and they probably say them a lot more than me and you can Google them about how The Last Jedi really grapples with what it's like to grow old after you basically commit a really amazing deed. Um, And I think we see that with Leia and yeah, we see it with Leia. We we even saw it with Han. Han really couldn't Mm -hmm. deal with it. He ran away. Um, And with Luke as well, he runs away. And it's like, but... This movie, like Ryan says, there is something valuable mm-hmm. about running away um, sometimes. And I, yeah, it's I like that, that perspective. I think, I think The Force Awakens did pretty well in some aspects. But I think The Last Jedi did better because 
I don't know. In some ways, I think The Force Awakens was kind of more obvious when it was telling you things like that. But The Last Jedi was more subtle. Like with Leia and Han in The Force Awakens, when Leia says, um, what does she say? Like, don't try to help. Or when did that ever prove helpful? And don't say the Death Star. Yeah, it, it's like the, it's the same yeah. sentiment as what is being shown in The Last Jedi, but it's a little bit more over their head. Um, but again, in The Force Awakens, it's re- it's funny too. So you, it's 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 a different tone yeah. in the moments, but they're both doing the same thing. Um, and and I love that too. What he said about how Leia and Luke and, and Han are ultimately defined by their loss, um, because here they are at the end of their lives, mm-hmm. and the the cycle is repeating itself. And so it's like, will will there – and that's why I don't think there actually has been balance in the Force because it's been repeating itself. And so will we find balance in the ep- end of Episode 9? I hope so too. And I, I hope think so. that's what everyone – I um, mean, I guess it could be a thing like at the end of Return of the Jedi where we thought there was balance and either that balance was quickly eroded. Well, there was balance at the end of Return of the Jedi. Which is like it could be quickly yeah, eroded after episode nine, right? and like that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, guys. <laughs> of course, isn't it a great time to be a Star Wars fan? <laughs> so good. Oh, it's so good. It's like sometimes yeah. exhausting. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little exhausted by the fan conversation right now. I'm one day away from going Casual. to Hawaii for Christmas, so I'm excited to kind of get away from the <laughs> the discourse. Yeah, not it's, gonna lie. Uh, it's been a lot. Um, it's a lot. And, and yeah, a lot of people have a lot of really good opinions that I don't agree with, but I think are really well thought out. Um, and I like having those conversations with other people throughout social media. So if you have some differing opinions or just want to say that you have the same opinion, you should hit us up on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I just want to thank our awesome patrons. Um, and I'm just going to list them now. Lynn, Neil, Jim, Suara, BJ, Ryan, Emma, Amy, Aaron, Robbie, Kirsty, Cherie, Kyle, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much, as always, for supporting us. Yes. It and means if you've left world. us a review on iTunes, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Um, and if you like what you hear, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes too. It really helps our show out. Um, if you want to find us on Twitter, our the podcast Twitter is at SkyTalkersPod, but you can find me at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte at Clarity. Yes. Nice. Thanks for plugging us. (laughs) We never really do that. I guess I've just been like the shameless plug of the episode. Yeah, this is like your episode to shamelessly plug everything, and I kind of like it. We should Maybe it's like whoever (laughs) reads the prologue has to do all the shameless plugs. Okay. (laughs) Good good point. Good point. Well, thank you guys so much. I think this is going to – yeah, this is going to be our last episode for the year. So – We'll see you in 2018, and Sky Talkers is going to be coming up on our one-year anniversary in January, and we are super excited and have loved this podcasting journey this year. So thanks for sticking it out with us. Seriously, thank you, guys. It's been a wonderful year, probably one of the better years ever, 2017 at least for me, and a big mm-hmm. part of it was starting this podcast. So thanks, guys, for an awesome well- year. Really. May the force be with you. (laughs) May the force be with you.